This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, no respect for the Nuggets. This series will be played out from a journalistic standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, entirely from the perspective of the L.A. Lakers and LeBron James, not the Nuggets and what they did exceptionally well. And Rockies outfielder Brenton Doyle. Some advice he's getting from Charlie Blackman. The gaps here are huge and like you can't like lax a day is cool, think you're going to get there because then you'll get beat. So I mean, that, things like that before getting here definitely helped me like what's to come. So it's been awesome. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 202 on our little podcast. Glad you're along for uh, today's journey. Brenton Doyle coming up uh, in a little bit. He was taking uh, the Rockies by storm and all Rockies fans by storm over the last few weeks. We'll get to Brenton Doyle here in a few moments. We've got to start with basketball. Uh, as we tape this on a Wednesday early evening, the Nuggets won game one, 132-126 in a super high-scoring affair against the hated Lakers. And you know the Rock or the Rockies, the, the Lakers have defeated the Nuggets all seven times they've met in the postseason. They have been a huge impediment. But this team, this Nuggets team is different. I think they believe. I go way back. As you know, with the Nuggets, I did them uh, between 94 and 04. I was doing their pregame in the late 80s and into the early 90s before I ended up taking over for the great Al Albert. And I remember one time when the Nuggets uh, matched up with the Lakers and Doug Moe, not tongue-in-cheek, he said, we have no shot against the Lakers. And that was when they had Magic and Worthy and Byron Scott and, and that group. And it was not, hey, I'm feigning that we have no shot. He legitimately meant we have no shot. And guess what? They had no shot. This Nuggets team is different. They believe not only they can take down the Lakers, they believe they can be the last one standing. They can be world champs. And nothing short of that, similar to the Avalanche a year ago, will be satisfactory for this group. You feel it watching, whether it's on television or in the arena, and they sense that more importantly as well. This team is different. Now to break down very quickly game one in front of game two, uh, it got a little dicey. Uh, the Nuggets stormed to a huge lead. At one point, they were up 21 points in the second half, and you thought they were going to win uh, easily. Big third quarter for the Lakers. They end up scoring more than 70 points in the second half. They got it down to three on a couple of occasions, and the Nuggets had to hang on. And for many... You're saying, oh, man, that's not a good sign. It's one game, and and each game is its own entity. The bottom line, of course, is that they won. And I look at it a little differently. Anthony Davis couldn't have played much better. He had 40 points and 10 rebounds. LeBron had 26 points and 12 rebounds. Austin Reeves was 5 of 9 from deep. He had 23 points. The Lakers shot 55%, or just under, from the floor, and 46% from three-point range. Remember the Phoenix series? And you're like, everybody was frightened about Phoenix. Well, if you think about it, the two games that the Suns won, Devin Booker went absolutely off and KD was good. But you're saying, are they going to be that good from a shooting percentage standpoint each game? Probably not. 
So I would challenge people to say, really, is AD going to be that good? Even even the great LeBron James, he going to be that good? You know, twenty four hours, actually forty eight hours later, again at altitude. You know what you're going to get from Joker: thirty four points, twenty one rebounds, fourteen assists. It's amazing. It's remarkable. A 30-20-10 game? Come on. MJP was 15-10. and 10. Murray, very strong. I know he'd been under the weather. He had 31 points. And the Nuggets, similar shooting numbers. Almost 55% from the floor, 47% from three-point range. So I guess you could make the same argument. Will the Nuggets shoot the same? I like the Nuggets' chances of coming close to duplicating those numbers more than I like the Lakers' chances of duplicating those numbers because the Nuggets, at least we know in game two, will be on their home floor. I think this will be a longer series. It will not be easy, but I do think the Nuggets can win in six, seven if need be. I just don't think the Lakers, though they're a better and more formidable defensive team than the Suns, I just don't see them as deep as the Nuggets. I don't know if there's a team in the NBA as deep as the Nuggets. And there is not a star, and I wanted to get to this, there is not a star player in the NBA that is as consistently great, not just good, consistently great as Nikola Jokic. And I think, Mark Jackson, if you're listening, probably not, but here we go. For those folks that, that you know, voted for Embiid, Embiid had a great year. He's a wonderful player. But you're seeing the difference between Jokic and Embiid. Embiid in Game 7 was 5 for 18 as Boston eliminated Philadelphia. And it ultimately cost Doc Rivers his job. 5 for 18. Joker doesn't have those games. He just does not have those games. You need him to score? Oh, I'll get 50-plus, as we saw earlier in the playoffs. You need him to hand out assists. He's going to do that every night. You need him to rebound. By himself in the first half against the Lakers, he out-rebounded Los Angeles 16-13. to He doesn't have mediocre games. He just has great games. It's going to be a good series. I love where the, I, I love where the Nuggets are. i got to mention something. I've, I've said this before. There's, there's a few podcasts that I listen to. I try to expand my horizons a little bit. But I'm a big PTI guy. I've told you that on, on many occasions. Uh, you know, I, I like Michael Wilbon. I like Tony Kornheiser. I listen to Korn, uh, Kornheiser's uh, podcast as well. And whenever you have an opinion, not everyone's going to agree with it. I mean, I, I espouse a number of opinions. I guarantee you all of you don't agree with it, nor probably should you. That's what makes uh, sports fascinating in particular. Michael Wilbon was joined a couple of days ago by Frank uh, Iasola, and they did a, a four-minute segment in the aftermath of when the Nuggets defeated the Suns to move on to the Western Conference Finals. And not one time in that four-minute segment did they ever, I mean this literally, ever mention the Nuggets or Jokic. Everything was from the perspective of the Suns, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker to a lesser degree, and their loss. Their blowout loss. And we've all gotten used to this, those folks that live in the lost time zone, the mountain time zone. And maybe you're from other parts of the country, not named New York or Los Angeles or or maybe Chicago. So you're used to not getting the respect. And I'm not big on, you know, we don't get respect. But in this case, the only team that's that's consistently through the years gotten respect um, 
nationally, the Denver Broncos. And the NFL's different. The NFL's different in they're not they're not so locked into the major markets or the historic franchises. Right now, it's all about Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, as well it should be, even though Kansas City is a mid-sized market. Josh Allen and Buffalo get a lot of attention, and well, they should, even though Buffalo is not even a, a mid-sized market, they're a small market. The NFL pays attention to the teams that are good and the star-level players. They do not always gravitate to the Jets and even my Giants and the Rams because now they are in Los Angeles. Yeah, the Cowboys probably get more than their fair share being self-anointed as America's team. But otherwise, it doesn't matter. If there's a good team and they reside in Green Bay, Wisconsin, or as we were just talking about, Buffalo, New York, or Kansas City, Missouri, they get attention. The NHL is somewhat that way. But the NBA and Major League Baseball, it's ridiculous. It is all about, I've heard me pontificate on this before, in baseball, it's the Yankees, it's the Dodgers, now the Mets because they have an owner who has more money than any, anyone out there. The Cubs in, in Boston get attention because of their historic nature, and they are large markets. Everything in between, I mean, heck, when it comes up to the trade deadline, it's like everybody else is just, um, you know, a triple A franchise to move their good players to the aforementioned teams, the Dodgers and the Yankees, and and, uh, and and that's all it's about. The NBA is the same damn way. It drives me nuts. And it drives you nuts also. It's about the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers. LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. The Knicks have been so bad that, you know, and this year they had a good year, but they've been so bad that they weren't included in the conversation for a while. But the Celtics are good, so the Celtics draw a great deal of attention. Guess what? The Nuggets are outstanding, and they have a guy who not only is a two-time MVP and woulda, coulda, shoulda been a three-time MVP, he is the best player in the world right now, and he is going to go down as one of the absolute all-time greats to play this game. He is so unique and so consistently great, as I was saying earlier, that I don't know if the rest of the country who follows basketball fully realize this. And, and hopefully they're getting an education and an enlightenment as the Nuggets, again, fingers crossed, march their way to an NBA championship. He's that good. He's that unique. And plus, for all those folks that think basketball players can only truly be elite if they jump high and can do special things in the air and have superb quickness and great athleticism, not the case. Not the case. And I think more people, not just fans, but so-called experts, folks who played the game, coached the game, look at him and say, yeah. It is completely different, but he can't be stopped, and he makes everyone around him not just a little better, but so much better. That's why whenever we used to watch and then reflect back on Magic Johnson's greatness, it wasn't that he was a prolific scorer. He could score. I mean, we, we know what he did his rookie year when he had to fill in for Kareem, and he played center, and he would he get 40-something against Philadelphia? He could score. 
He had a set shot. Magic wasn't a great athlete. In fact, there's probably a lot of similarities. Magic was 6'9", unicorn, because we didn't see anyone close to that height handle the ball the way he did and see the court the way he did. And then he was big enough to rebound the basketball. He was a, a guy that could score, even though he shot a set shot. Jokic, the same guy. He's the same guy, but guess what? He's three, four inches bigger than Magic was. He is an all-time great in front of our eyes. And in another conversation, we can do the uh, the, the old talk show, who's the greatest athlete um, of all time in Denver sports history. Guess what? When he's done, he may be number one. He may move past John Elway. He's that great. Man, it's been amazing. But it does tick me off. Um, and I'm a displaced New Yorker. I'm an adopted Coloradan. I love New York. Just there. Talked about it last week. Still a Giant fan. You all know that. But it ticks me off that people don't do their homework. And they and, and this series will be played out from a journalistic standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, entirely from the perspective of the L.A. Lakers and LeBron James. When I was watching, you know, SportsCenter and all the all the programming in the aftermath of Game One, it was it was told from a soundbite standpoint, mostly, and from a content and highlight standpoint, mostly the Lakers version of what happened, not the Nuggets and what they did exceptionally well, led by the best player in the sport right now. Okay. On to baseball. Before we talk uh, specifically about the Rockies, we're past the quarter post. Time flies in the game of baseball. Past, uh, Past the quarter post. And there's a couple of teams that just stand out for being really underwhelming. The San Diego Padres, who the Rockies opened against and split in San Diego, 1-2, lost to. I was really excited about watching them. I mean, they have a great lineup. Fernando Tatis is back. They got Machado. I mean, Cronenworth, who hasn't had a great year. Of course, Juan Soto. They got all these big names. They got big names on their pitching staff. And they've been, they have some work to do to be mediocre right now. Really disappointing. And then back east, the team I followed growing up, team the Rockies just played and played well against, took two of three in New York, the Mets. Mets spent an awful lot of money on two Hall of Famers in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And they're not getting much in the way of return yet. And they haven't done much offensively. They've been a huge disappointment. We know there's a lot of baseball left, well over 100 games left, and seasons can turn around. Look no further than the 2019 Washington Nationals that had a, a big-time roster, and at one point were 19-31. They ended up uh, going on a great run and winning it all. But those two teams in particular stand out as being very disappointing. And the Dodgers, another team that we love to hate, especially here in the Rocky Mountains, I thought they would be an uh, an upper 80s type of team this year. I really thought there'd be a significant drop-off, especially from winning, what did they win, 111 last year? I I thought they'd win 87, 88 games. And they may still. But right now, they're on pace to be a 100-win team again. It's crazy. Because they are not as good on paper. But what do we know about paper? All right, the Rockies, speaking of not very good on paper, according to the folks that follow the sport closely, and I I had very 
low expectations for the Rockies, to be frank, going into this year. They're in transition. I continue to, to hold my ground on that. But they've won 11 of 16. They won today in a game they were down 5 nothing. This was exciting, man. They were down 5 nothing in the fifth inning. And it's one of the great things about Coors Field because you never know. They were getting dominated um, today. And in the bottom of the fifth inning, they score five times to get even. And then they score six times in the sixth inning to blow the game wide open. And you know who was in the center of the storm again? The guy we're going to talk to in a little bit, Brenton Doyle. He had a two-run triple, nearly hit it out to the extreme portion of left center field. Good win for the uh, for the Rockies. And so at least over the last few weeks, they're playing much better defense, like night and day from what they did in April when they were horrendous defensively. They're somehow hanging in with a rotation that's lost three-fifths of their guys. Feltner, and we wish him all the best. He has a fractured skull, a scary moment when he got hit on that line drive off the bat of Castellanos in the matchup with Philadelphia. He's going to be out for a while. Senzatella has an elbow situation. He's going to be out for quite some time. And we know that Herman Marquez just had Tommy John surgery. But, you know, guys like Connor Seabold, not overwhelming, but kind of in his three starts so far, he's hung in there and he's got has not gotten blown out. So the Rockies have been able to be in games and and I think they've won all three of his starts so far. They got a great start in his first appearance in a Rockies uniform from a longtime veteran, Chase Anderson. Five shutout innings gave up, I think, just one hit. And so, as I said, they're hanging in with their starting rotation, and their bullpen's been great. I think I said it last week. Bullpen's been great. Brent Suter has a sub-one ERA. More than a quarter of the way into the season, pitching half your games at Coors Field, he has the lowest earned run average of any reliever in baseball. And it's not just one inning or two-thirds of an inning. Most of the time, he's, he's, he's pitching two innings. He's been fabulous. Jake Bird, who had the um, emotional, um, I don't want to call it an outburst, but he was very emotional and, and fired up when he uh, got the final out of an inning against Philadelphia. And uh, Bryce Harper, maybe understandably, took some offense to it and charged across the field. I think he was frustrated with some other things. And both benches empty and bullpens, no punches thrown, fortunately. Um, but that was, uh, it's a galvanizing moment for both teams. And Jake Bird's been great. Jake Bird's been outstanding. Justin Lawrence, he's going to be a, a future closer. He's been outstanding. So, you know, the Rockies enjoy it right now. They're, they're playing good baseball. And the guy that's been in the middle of it, and he's been up for about three weeks, and I think there's a direct correlation to his arrival and how well the Rockies have played, at least in part, Brenton Doyle in center field. I mean, he was two games in, and he doubled the Rockies' stolen base total. He's already hit four home runs. He's made several outstanding catches in the outfield. Balls that I don't know if any other center fielder on the Rockies' roster, and, and this is not to to take a shot at Jonathan Daza, I think is a solid center fielder. He's now down in Albuquerque. Um I don't know if anybody else makes the catch on, on a couple of those. And he had the throw to the plate on the road trip that was phenomenal to cut down uh, another would-be run, I think it was in Pittsburgh, and give the Rockies uh, keep the Rockies in a game. He had a throw the other day, did not get a guy out to the plate, so he was really close, came out of his hand at over 100 miles an hour. 
There are guys that have a lot of tools, but they never show up, or they rarely show up on the same day. This guy's foot speed, arm, power, they all seem to show up every day. He's been a blast to watch. And so the other day on the air, I've done this now a couple times, I call him Popeye Doyle, showing my age. And for those folks that listen to this podcast um, and remember the 72 classic, the French Connection, you know who I'm referring to. Jimmy Popeye Doyle, played by one of my all-time favorite actors, who's still with us at 93, Gene Hackman. Well, the French Connection was nominated, I did a little homework, for eight Academy Awards. They won, I believe, five, including Best Picture. Gene Hackman won for Best Actor. And he, he played a fictitious New York tough guy detective, Jimmy Popeye Doyle. Well, that's Brenton Doyle, man. He's Popeye. He's got he, Popeye strong, 6'4", about 220. So um, he's been a blast. Uh, I, I had to educate Ryan Spielberg's on The French Connection. If you haven't seen it, it's got one of the great car chase scenes ever. And it is and has been showered with praise continually, even though it's now more than 50 years old, as one of the great films to ever come out of Hollywood. So do yourself a favor one night when you got nothing to do. Throw on The French Connection. Gene Hackman. You know who else was in that? Roy Scheider, the late Roy Scheider, who I, I guess was most famous for Jaws, playing the sheriff in Jaws. In Jaws. But uh, anyhow, great film. And um, there's just something different about my man Brenton Doyle. And uh, he plays with great energy. He He's enjoying every moment. And he's made several adjustments already at the big league level. I think you're going to enjoy getting to know 25-year-old Brenton Doyle a little bit better. Have you had, even though it's only been a few weeks, have you had a, hey, I belong here moment? Was it last night? Last night was definitely a pretty, pretty good one for sure. I mean, multi-homer game up here. Um, definitely boosted confidence quite a bit. Um, but, I mean, even since I got here, I mean, I knew my, my abilities and my skill set, my tools will play at this level, and um, definitely been helping contribute to this ball club, and it's been fun. Was there a moment in AAA where you go, I know I'm close, or maybe it was spring training, and you felt like, you know, mingling with the Charlie Blackmans and the Chris Bryants where you go, you know what, I can hang. Yeah, spring training for sure was uh, a big eye-opener for me. I mean, just, you know, playing games and practicing every day with those, like, Chris and Charlie. I mean, Charlie was unbelievable. The the amount of uh, help he gave me in the outfield. Just, like, even when just standing around doing nothing, like, he would just, like, come up with a scenario and, like, try to get input on, like, how we'd play a certain type of ball. And, like, he was trying to give me some tips, like, on at course Field, like, the gaps here are huge and, like, you can't, like, lackadaisical think you're going to get there because then you'll get beat. So, I mean, that things like that before getting here definitely helped me, like, practice in Albuquerque for, like, what's to come. So it's been awesome. People talk about altitude all the time. Yeah. I've been here forever. They always talk about altitude. Does it help the fact that you're playing at altitude on the step right below getting here, both offensively and defensively? For sure. I mean, uh, Albuquerque is definitely a good little stepping stool um, 
to course, no doubt, even with the outfield. I mean, it's a big outfield in Albuquerque, too. So, I mean, the the altitude and the, and the, the way the field plays definitely compares to course quite a bit. I've said this upstairs, and I, I've said that there's been the Doyle effect. And even in the days maybe you don't have a knock, just the, the speed factor, the the power factor and it's kind of correlated with how well the club's played since since you've arrived and I, I know you have humility and you're not going to say oh it's because of me but do you feel like hey you know I've, I've made a little bit of a difference yeah um I mean even when I'm not performing like I want to offensively I, I, I never carry it into the outfield and I think um being a run saver in the outfield tracking balls down making diving plays throwing guys out um defense win balls game too so yeah yeah Power to all fields. You told me that you kind of always had that. Yeah, yeah. I've always had some uh, opposite field power, and I mean, if you're at this level, everyone has poolside power. So um, it's definitely fun uh, seeing a little spray chart lately. Yeah. Okay, the one you hit the big fly to center field later in the ball game, which turned out to be a huge run. Yeah. No did doubt. Did you think, boy, I got that? It's just a big yard. I know. Well, on Mother's Day, I had a ball out there hit pretty well i thought i was going and they got caught at the track and um but that one last night I, d- I definitely got a little bit more and uh but like i said the ball i hit the day before i mean got caught so i wasn't you know just trotting out of the box so. but yeah felt really good i was talking to bam bam and, and he said he's been impressed with the adjustments that you've already made at this level can you share a little bit with, with what some of those are yeah, it's it all comes down just to swing efficiency. Um, just you know, making your movements a little smaller so you can uh, get to more pitches and, and just uh, barrel up more baseballs. Um, I've been uh, trying to just work on it in the cage, whether it's with like a heavy bat, you know, or just um, a spin ball machine, cranking it up to high V low, just making sure like you have to handle the velocity and um, your body kind of adjusts to that and, and makes some good changes. You know, speaking of handling high velocity, I was impressed last night. Hunter Green throws as hard as anybody in the game. Yeah. And it's like you went up there, I assume you're sitting dead red, and you got the barrel out on the first heater you threw. Yeah, I mean, a guy like that, you have to be on the heater. I mean, you can't get off the heater, you're going to get beat. So I was on the heater most of the night and uh, got myself in good uh, counts to, you know, put a barrel on it and it worked out. Uh, you made a couple of great catches last night. You've already made several really big plays which gives you a bigger thrill making a play defensively or doing something large offensively i think it all comes down to the game um like back in pittsburgh that um ball where i caught in center field threw the guy at home and a tie game bases loaded i mean that felt really good but and then last night a multi-homer game where we won the game by one run i mean that that feels pretty dang good too by the way, you set a Rockies record. The nine hole used to be occupied in the National League, as you know, by a pitcher. Right. Had never produced three extra base hits in the history of the Colorado Rockies. So you're in the record book, man. There we go. That's that's cool. Good yeah. to know. Who, who was the first person you called after last night? My wife. Uh, I always I always call her and talk to her after the games. Mom's pretty uh, active on social media. What'd she have to say? Yeah, she she definitely gave me a, a good text. Um, she's funny, though. She she always thinks she's bothering me when she tries to call me and stuff, which I always tell her, you never bother me. You call me whenever you want. So it's more text messages with her and not, not as much phone calls, but I'm trying to get that switched. When you were growing up, who, who had the biggest influence on you playing baseball and growing as a player? 
Um, definitely my parents. I mean, uh, my mom growing up, uh, luckily she was a stay-at-home mom, so I mean, she was able to dedicate all their time to, you know, take me to those tournaments out of the state and uh, dedicate a lot of her time to my baseball side of my life. And then my dad, you know, he was a working man. He, he supplied for the family and he allowed me to, you know, play baseball year in and year out. And then baseball-wise, uh, probably Ryan Zimmerman, you know, going to Nats games uh, growing up. I mean, he was a fun hitter, fun defender to watch. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I got to say about that one. I know it was your draft year 2019, but it was also a special year for the team you followed growing up, wasn't it? Yeah, no doubt. I was at the wild card game when they beat the Brewers um, when Soto hit the ball to right and Trent Grisham uh, misplayed it. I mean, it was crazy, crazy atmosphere. It was fun to be there. Is it uh, is it going to be wild when you when you get on the field and you look across the way and there's there's national players like dude what am I doing here huh Well I mean even with like Harper and Trey earlier in the week I mean that was that was probably one of the most surreal moments being up here you know watching those guys with the Nationals and like idolizing them growing up high school and middle school even um, you know it's pretty pretty cool playing those guys yeah, and then you have a little get together at, uh, at at home plate or around home plate which you know is one of the things that on you know, rare occasions happens. Yeah. Uh, what was your take on that? I don't know. Me and Profar, I kind of had the same take. We were just, we had our heads in, just jogging in. Next thing you know, we hear a bunch of commotion. Benches are cleared, so we ran up here. Um, I don't know if it, was, it didn't seem worth a bench clearing brawl to me, but um, I don't know if things were said kind of leading up to it or not. I'm all the way out in the outfield. I don't hear things that are going on between the dugouts and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, got the adrenaline up a little bit. And the boys end up winning the game, so it was cool. Yeah. Did you um, have an opportunity to to introduce yourself to Harper or Trey? No, I didn't. Uh, I, when I stole a second, um, he kind of gave me a pat on the butt, and we didn't really talk much, so I didn't want to have it be too much of a distraction. Next thing you know, I get picked off or something, but but it was definitely cool being around him. More with Drew and Brenton Doyle right after this. Boyer's Coffee, simply great, the legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. It has been brewed smooth in our area since 1965. They have a national reputation for outstanding coffee, and you can get it delivered right to your door like I do. It comes within a couple of days, just a couple of clicks when you go to boyerscoffee.com. And they have uh, some of the many flavors I'm sure you've heard of, Aspen Gold, Rocky Mountain Thunder, and then they have the special flavors like chocolate mousse, coconut cream. Doesn't matter what time of day, it's going to make you want to have a cup of coffee. As I've told you many times, I'm a K-Cup guy. They have plenty of those as well. If you have not, if you're one of those rare people in our region that has never had Boyer's Coffee, you're missing out. So go now to boyerscoffee.com and order up uh, some of your favorite flavors and uh, some perhaps that you have not tried yet. You'll be a believer very quickly. Again, it's boyerscoffee.com. Jump on in. They've been brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. Simply outstanding. Speaking of simply outstanding, how about my friends at Steel, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. The number of products that they have that can help you out is amazing. Okay, let me give you an idea why they're the best in the business. They have chainsaws. They have hedge trimmers. They have pole pruners. 
Yeah. How many times you you try to get a branch down or, or, or prune something way over your head? You don't want to take out a ladder. That could be too dangerous. They have pole pruners. They have gardening tools, forestry tools, cutoff machines, concrete cutters if you want to get really ambitious. If it comes to mowing and planting, they have trimmers, lawnmowers, zero-turn mowers, everything that can help you in that regard, edgers. And when it comes to cleaning up, I got to do it to my garage uh, this week, in fact. They have blowers. They have pressure washers. You get the picture. They have everything, absolutely everything. And they have more than 10,000 dealers around the country. So was, uh, they like to say there's one right around the corner from you. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. Now back to Drew with Brenton Doyle. One of the things I've noticed about you, and I've made this, uh, mentioned this on the air a number of times, there are guys who can really run, and obviously you can really run, that don't utilize their speed. You're not afraid. I mean, you obviously have scouting reports. You know, Ron Gideon will whisper in your ear, hey, he's, you know, he's one four five to the plate or slower than that. And, and you take off. And, and so there's not the fear factor, which uh, I think is really impressive. 100%. I mean, even spring training, you know, um, Warren Schaefer and Giddy, you know, they're t- talking to me saying, like, you know, you should want to steal every bag you can. Um, and it's a big factor in my game, you know. Uh, it kind of puts pressure on defenses sometimes, and especially um, even on, like, infield singles. I mean, any time you can rush a throw maybe or, or get someone on their heels or something like that, you know, beat out a, a, a routine ball is pretty cool. And then on the bases, stealing, yeah, I mean, I, I want to steal as many bags as I can, get myself in scoring position to help score some runs. I think your background, I love the story of how guys arrive. For every guy that's a first-round pick, there, there's, uh, you know, a million stories of guys that were drafted later or undrafted. Right. Um, your story is unique in that you went to a D2 school. Take me back to high school. I know you were originally committed to VMI. What happened uh through that whole process i committed to vmi pretty early my junior year and that i mean i was i wasn't like a big time guy on the baseball field i was a pretty good player it wasn't like a big time guy and then fast forward a little bit to later in my junior year and started my senior year i started becoming like you know i might have a shot at doing this like as my career path like maybe the mob and the, those kind of dreams could come true and uh, I ended up decommitting from VMI late my senior year um, just because I wanted to go to a place where I could focus more on baseball and not have to do, you know, the ROTC and all that side of the military school. Um, so I ended up decommitting pretty late. I wasn't too educated on, like, a junior college or anything like that. So I just knew some mutual friends at Shepherd, and uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing, but, I mean, it couldn't have worked out more perfectly. Um, the coaching staff at Shepherd um, was unbelievable to me, and, um, never gave me a limitation on how often I could meet with scouts because I know some big-time schools, you know, they kind of see scouts have a distraction and they don't let guys meet with them too much. But, I mean, I was meeting with multiple scouts every single day, so I think that extra exposure for me kind of, you know, allowed me to get to where I am and get drafted where I got drafted. Did you have a natural chip on your shoulder or do you have, well, I'm a D2 guy, chip on my shoulder, and oh, shoot, that guy went to LSU, that guy went to Arkansas, or was that out the gate, you know, or out the door? pretty early i don't know like growing up i was kind of like the smaller guy on the field so i'd always have to play try to play up to like the bigger guys level and like fast forward to now i'm a i'm a pretty big guy but i kind of still have that same mindset where i always have something to prove you know um 
But yeah, that's just the way I play. You know, it's funny you said that. I was talking about this in the dugout earlier. For whatever reason, we can change anything in the world today, right? Yeah. In the game of baseball, whatever you're drafted at, that's what you're listed at until the day you leave. So I hope you have a 20-year career in the big leagues. You're going to be 6'2", 200. And I know you ain't seen 6'2", 200 no. a lot. What, what are you, 6'4", 220? 6'4", 215, 220. I, it's right. actually funny. Uh, a guy from so my, You've seen that, right? Yeah, a guy, well, it bothers my wife the most out of anybody because it bothers her, but she tweeted something, actually. She didn't tag anybody, but someone from my agency uh, saw her tweet and He's, I think he's going to reach out to either MLB or the Rockies to get it fixed. So we'll see in the next coming days if it gets fixed up there. Yeah, we were laughing about it because you were stretching next to Tolia. And, you know, and Tolia's <laughs> a big dude, but, you know, he's 6'5", 245. And, and, you know, you're right there with him. Yeah, I, I have no clue what the scoreboard uh, height and weight's about. I really don't. It's, it's kind of funny. I kind of chuckled at it because I noticed it for one of the first days I was here. Um, but, yeah, it would, be, it would be nice to see it fixed, you know. I think one of the neater things also are relationships that are forged through the minor leagues, through bus rides, through going through similar circumstances. And one of your closest friends, because you've told me this, in in the game is Ezekiel Tovar, which to me is is fascinating because I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's he's such a mature young guy. But you guys come from, you know, different languages, obviously, different cultures, yet I know every time you hit a home run, the last guy you meet and give him a bear hug is is Tovar. He's waiting for you. Yeah, I I love our little bear hugs at the end of home runs. I mean, that's something we even did back in, uh, you know, A-ball. Um, he's just such such an amazing player, such an amazing young man. Very mature, like you said, for his age. So him and I just, you know, clicked very well. His English has gotten a lot better through the years. So um, he kind of helps me with my Spanish. I kind of help him with his English. And, uh, you know, a really good relationship between me and him. And then me and Mike as well. I mean, me and Mike go back to high A. And, I mean, we've been through our ups and downs together. We've, we've gotten each other out of holes. And we've uh, praised each other during our highs. So it's been fun. And your wives, you and you and Toby's wives are, uh, are yeah. pretty close, huh? My wife and uh, Laura, yeah. Um, she's actually expecting here soon, so I'm sure they'll have even uh, more to talk about with that, um, with our daughter. And then I think he's having a little girl as well. Um, and then Mike's wife, too, Jenna, is pretty close with my wife, Rose. So I'm excited to get them all together for sure. What's been the coolest thing about being a big leaguer? I mean, your whole life, especially... Uh, you know, once you were tearing it up at Shepard, you're like, okay, I have a good chance to be a pro. And now you're moving along, and you see the dream of being a big leaguer. You watched in the stands, uh, you know, yeah. at Nat Stadium, and now you're a big leaguer. What, what, what have been some of the eye-opening things you're like, man, wow? I think just, you know, the crowds. I mean, it, it's been so much fun just to, you know, take a moment and look around yourself. Um, because, I mean, the field is just like any other field, whether it's low A, high A, double A, triple A, whatever. But um, just the crowd interactions and, you know, definitely the, the level of play, too. Being around the clubhouse, like guys like Charlie Blackman, Chris Bryant, guys you watch growing up is, is definitely, you know, you pinch yourself sometimes like, yeah, I'm actually here. Um, I'd probably say those things. Well, listen, it's been a blast watching you play. Continued success. Stay healthy, man. Keep going doing your thing. Awesome. Thank you. Love that kid, man. He's fun to be around. And um, as I said, there, there's just a different feel right now around the Rockies. They have they have a ways to go. We know that. But they're in transition. And as some of these new guys arrive and have an impact and play with the energy that young guys play with, um, it's going to affect the win-loss column. And hopefully 
we're going to see over the next couple of years the Rockies be able to put together a team that outside the Rocky Mountain region starts to get attention as I pull a page from what I was talking about earlier with the Denver Nuggets. Anyhow, fun time of year. It's fun watching the Nuggets, and uh, of late it's been been, uh, great fun watching the Rockies as well. We'll do it again in seven days. Uh, Go Nuggets. Stay safe. Stay well. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a week.